So we're in this series called Go Tell. Go Tell, where we're partnering two concepts. The first is the concept that God sent his own son, Jesus Christ. That's Christmas. That's what happened. Excuse me just a minute. I got these new hearing aids because I can't hear you if I don't wear them. And they're giving me a buzz feedback. (laughs) I'm going to fix the buzz, but I'm going to forget the buzz right now, okay? So there are two concepts. The first is Christmas, that God became man to identify with us. The second concept is that somebody's got to tell that story. So we're titling the series, Go Tell It. And today we're going to look at the at the aspect of sent. Who can tell it if nobody's been sent? So who has been sent? We're going to look at that concept of sent. Our springboard scripture is Luke chapter 2, verse 17, where it says, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. we got to spread the word. That's a scriptural concept. We have to spread the word. This morning, we're going to look at the concept of what we find in John chapter 20, verse 21, where it says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father hath sent me, Jesus said, I am sending you. He's talking to his disciples, every one of them. So if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, which means a learner, you consider yourself a Christian, you have a responsibility to be sent. Jesus sent us. The Father sent him. Jesus sends us. So if we are sent, first question for us to ask, and I've got four questions we're going to answer. First question is, what is our mission? If we've been sent, we need to know what our mission is. We need to put ourselves into the mission. So we're going to talk about that. This idea of being sent is throughout the Christmas story. Maybe you hadn't thought about it, but there's a lot of aspects of being sent. Let me go through a couple. I just realized Corey's back. Glad you're here, Corey. Welcome. 13 times I found, I reread the Christmas story in preparation for this, and I found 13 times somebody was sent. In other words, they had to get outside their comfort zone and go do something. 13 of them. Let me give you a couple examples The Holy Spirit was sent to Mary. Remember, Mary became pregnant. She had no relationship with a man. It was the Holy Spirit that visited her. That's supernatural. That doesn't happen. That's what happened in the Christmas story. The Holy Spirit was sent to Mary. Second one, the Magi were sent to Jerusalem. It says they followed the star. But why were they following the star? They followed the star till they found Jesus. They knew that the star somehow, I don't know how they knew this, but it connected with the Messiah, the birth of the Son of God. They they understood this. So they went to see the king of Israel because they figured the new king of Israel has got to be the child of the present king, right? So they followed the star. They probably actually, if you can picture this in your mind, they were from Babylon. They were Israelites from Babylon And they probably followed the Fertile Crescent, as you learned in high school, up around and down on the Mediterranean to where Israel was. It was probably followed a trading route, a bunch of camels carrying supplies to trade in Israel and to go back again. They probably probably 
weren't making a special trip. They probably were already planning this trip. And on the trip, they saw the star. And they knew in their minds the star represented Jesus. So they followed that star all the way. The Magi were, were sent to Jerusalem. And then Herod sent them to Bethlehem. Remember that part of the Christmas story? They got to King Herod, and King Herod said, I don't know anything about this new king of Israel, but I want to know who he is. Go to Bethlehem. That's where the prophets say he will be born. Go to Bethlehem. Find him, because I want to come and worship him. Liar. He wants to know where this baby is so he can exterminate him. You see, this world's a scary place. Not just today. It's always been a scary place. It's even scary for the Son of God. So an angel sent Joseph, Mary, and the new baby down to Egypt to escape the persecution that's about to come on all babies two years and under. After a period of time, King Herod died, and the angel showed up again down in Egypt and told them to come back to Israel. Sent again. When they got back to Israel, Joseph was warned in a dream to go to Galilee. Don't go back to Judea, go to Galilee. Remember that? That's all part of the Christmas story. One interruption, one twist and turn after another. Doesn't that kind of sound like your life, your spiritual journey, one twist and turn after another you didn't plan on? That's the way it works. If you're, if you're a Christian, fasten your safety belt, God's going to take you on the ride of your life, and you never know where you're going to end up, but He does. So, who has God sent us to? That's the next question we need to address. If we've been sent by God as Christians, of all denominations, not just New Hope, but all denominations, we've all been sent. Every Christian that's responded to the gospel has been sent. We're on a mission. So who are we sent to? Let me, let me just say this to take the pressure off. Not to the people who will persecute you. You haven't been sent to them. Maybe you thought you were, but you haven't been sent to them. Jesus said, if you go to a community and they won't reject you, or they reject the word, you shake the dust from your feet and go on to the next village. You haven't been sent to go in and fight somebody into the kingdom. You can't fight them into the kingdom. You can't argue them into the kingdom. You go to those that are receptive. We call these people people of peace. People of peace. People who aren't against God, they're people of peace. Acts chapter 13, verse 47 says, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We bring salvation to the ends of the earth because we are a light to the Gentiles, those that don't know the truth. We're a light. So what should we Christians be doing? We should be letting our light shine. In other words, let people see a difference in us, in the way we think, in the way we talk, in the way we react to people. Let people see a light inside of us that they don't see in other people. So next question. How do we recognize people of peace, receptive people? How do we recognize them? Because most, let, let's just be honest, most of us in this room, we're afraid to talk to somebody about faith. We're afraid. We're afraid of their reaction. 
We're afraid they'll ask us questions we don't have answers for. And so we're afraid of people's reaction. You don't have to be afraid. You are a light. You don't have to go preach to people. Just be the light. Let your light shine. Let people see you live your faith. That's a light to the Gentiles. So let me give you some characteristics of people who are receptive to the gospel. People that God might arrange in your life. Number one, they haven't prejudged you. If somebody's prejudged you, you might as well walk on across the street. Walk on to somebody else. Because people who have prejudged you have already made a judgment. And you can't change their mind. So go to people who are receptive. Here's the second characteristic. They talk with you. If people know you're a Christian in the workplace and they're not interested in what you're going to say to them, they'll probably duck and run the other way every time they see you coming. Those aren't the people you're called to. It's the people that will talk with you. You don't have to disagree with them, and they don't have to disagree with you. Just talk to them. Build friendships. Build relationships. In John chapter 13, verse 20, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. So you see this transition? There's... God the Father who loves the world and He wants people to know about Him and He wants to build a relationship with people down here on this world. So He sent His Son Jesus to identify with us, to identify with sinners like us. And then He sends us to go out and identify with other people who are just like us. This is the way it works. I remember some years ago, I was working in a factory, and Steve Hauser was working with me, and I was on one side of the bench, and he was on another. I was assembling hydraulic pumps. I would put them on the bench. He'd put them on a tester, which would put them under pressure, and, uh, and we had this, this other guy. His first name was Mike. I'm not going to say his last name, but Mike was working on the bench in front of me, so there was three of us working there together, and Steve had, had pointed me to Christ. And so I was doing my best to tell other people about it. So we had this, this spiritual, this Jesus communication going on all the time. And Mike didn't know anything about it. And Mike was mad because we were drinking buddies with him. We couldn't do that anymore. But he's still going out, and, and he got mad at us. He said, people don't change overnight. just doesn't happen. So we were having this conversation, and he was mad at us. And I, re- I remember he took his tool and he slammed this hammer down on his workbench. He walked over to the drinking fountain and I looked at Steve and Steve looked at me and put his hands together like this. I knew what that meant. Let's pray. <laughs> so he and I were both praying to ourselves. As soon as he got a drink at the drinking fountain, he turned right around, walked right back over there and he looked at Steve and he said, so tell me what this is all about. Wow. Changed his mind just that fast. Closed mind to open mind. Anger to being receptive. So what I'm telling you is if you have a relationship with somebody on the job, somebody in the workplace, a neighbor in your neighborhood, pray for them that God will soften their hard heart. He knows how to pull the rug out from under them. He knows how to put them in a place where they're calling for help. 
That's receptivity. So pray for them. Here's the third characteristic of a receptive person. They believe in God. Listen, most everybody believes in God. There are are a few hard-hearted people who don't. They believe in crystals. They believe in ancestor worship. I had an experience uh, just just this last week where I was talking with a, a young lady. And she... She's not a Christian, doesn't know the Lord, but she has a relationship with her grandma. And her grandma would pray with her, and they would pray. They would have a communication with God together. And then grandma died, and she felt brokenhearted. She felt alienated. She felt like she didn't know what to do. Family doesn't go to church anywhere. Grandma did, but the family doesn't. So she she told me she couldn't pray. I was encouraging her to pray. And she said, I can't pray. Every time I pray, I start crying. Grandma could help me pray. But Grandma has showed up a couple times in my bedroom. I saw her at the foot of my bed. So I said, I hate to tell you this, but we don't talk to dead people. That was an angel God sent to comfort you, trying to point you to God. Don't seek Grandma. Seek God. It was a new concept to her because the only concept she knew is her ancestor. I call that ancestor worship. She's trying to get a hold of grandma again. She needs to get a hold of God. Here's the fourth characteristic. They ask questions. You see, that's the scary thing for us. If somebody asks us a question and we don't have an answer, what do we do with that? That's the scary thing. Let me, let me give you a pat response. I really don't know. But let me check with my pastor and get back with you on that. But that's not what we're talking about. What I want to talk to you about is, and get right back on track again. Because people will try to derail you with their questions that nobody has an answer for. And if you send me one of those questions, I will answer it. Oh, and by the way... If you don't want to send it to me, send it to Pastor Adam. He'll answer it. If you don't know, just admit you don't know, but say, I'm going to find out. I'll get back with you. Now, if you're going to tell him that, do it. Make a note. Don't forget it. Because everybody has questions. I have questions. When I get to heaven, I got some tough ones I'm going to pose to God. In the meantime... I want to help people get on first base. I want to help them get started on their journey. Here's the fifth characteristic of a receptive person. They just seem to come back for more. They'll come back for more. If they don't like what you said, they won't come back anymore. I've told this story of my life when I was working in that factory and pastoring a church here, this church, when it was smaller, at the same time, two jobs. And I couldn't get my work done on the job. I was, I, at that point, I was running a, a drill press where we were putting ports in iron castings for these hydraulic pumps. And I couldn't run my machine because everybody was coming up to me asking me, what do I, how do I deal with, with, with my husband who doesn't love me anymore? How do I deal with my teenager who's rebelling and won't follow the rules? What, what, do, I, what do I do with this? What do I do with that? And they were coming to me, and I was spending all my time there. I'm on the clock. They're paying me to make parts, but I'm counseling. 
left and right. And it finally dawned on me, this must be what God called me to do. I might as well get paid for doing the counseling than, than coming in here and getting paid for working parts and I can't work them. I, I was the best chaplain I think that factory ever had. <laughs> That's not what they were paying me to do. So I ended up, I had to quit that factory job to go full-time in ministry and the rest is history. They'll come back for more. And remember this, this is the biggest danger. We are not the message. Jesus is the message. The message is not, please come to church with me. We need you to come to New Hope. We need you to come be a part of my church. That's not the message. Jesus is the message. We're just followers of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And here's the sixth and final characteristic of a receptive person. They don't get angry. If somebody gets angry, walk away. An angry person is not receptive. They won't hear anything you say. Walk away from the anger. Another interesting sidelight, when when we were working in that factory, and Steve Hauser was working with me, uh, he would he would constantly try to lead me to Christ. And I was not the least bit receptive. I wasn't interested. I didn't hear what he had to say. I even discovered if I would swear at him, he would just hang his head and stop. That was the end of the discussion, if I would swear at him. Just, he stopped. But tomorrow, he was right back at it again. I am so glad he was uh, tenacious. He didn't quit kept pressing in on me because finally there was a time when my heart was softened. I was hurting enough. I was looking for any kind of answer I could find. And there was Steve Hauser at it again. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's look at this last question I want to draw our attention to. What goals does a sent person have? What are, what are we trying to accomplish? What are our goals? Number one, Encourage people. Be a spiritual encouragement. Encourage people spiritually. If you just somehow, some way, you put God in the conversation, Mm -hmm. you've spun it around. You've begun to plant seeds in their mind. Just look for ways to do that. Number two, give them hope. Give them hope. The... uh, big mistake a lot of churches make in this day and age is we don't give people hope. We do not give them hope. We give them rules to follow, but we don't give people hope. People need hope. This is a fallen world. Satan is out to steal, kill, and destroy every one of us in every one of our lives. We have to fight a battle. Number three, identify with them. Get on their level. Uh, Pastor Adam and Lena had a, uh, a meeting they had to go to in Indianapolis, so we got to watch the grandkids the other night. And my eight-year-old grandson, we were singing some Christmas songs, and my eight-year-old grandson, Caleb, began singing Feliz Navidad. He got that whole song memorized. I can't, I can't sing the whole thing. He had it all memorized, sang all the way through it. And I asked him, I said, 
Uh, Caleb, that was really good. Do you know what Feliz Navidad means? He said, no. <laughs> said, it means Merry Christmas. It's Spanish for Merry Christmas. If you, if you meet someone that speaks English, you say Merry Christmas. But if you, meet, if you meet someone that speaks Spanish, you say Feliz Navidad. And I said, do you know anybody that speaks Spanish? And he thought a minute. And he said, no. <laughs> Didn't know anybody. I said, Caleb, didn't you know that Pastor David Cardenas speaks Spanish with his kids all the time? The kids that you hang out with here at church, your friends, did you know that they can speak Spanish as well as they can English? The eyes got big. He said, no. And I said, next time you see him, you go up to him and you say, Feliz Navidad. They'll know exactly what you're talking about. And then I got to thinking about that. You know, if, if we're going to speak to Spanish-speaking people, we have to speak their language. If you're going to speak to sinners about Jesus, people who don't know Jesus, you have to speak their language, not your language. You can't go up and use these big theological words that they don't know what they mean. You've got to speak their language. So if you and I are sent into a lost world, we have to speak lost people words. Now, because those of us in this room used to be lost, we know how to do that. We know how lost people think because we used to be that. So we can speak to them, use their language. Number, uh, number four. My outline says number two, but it's number four. <laughs> enfold them. You know what enfold means? It means you bring them in. Enfold them. Like adopting a child. Enfold them. Get them into a church. Church isn't the savior. Going to church isn't going to save anybody. Got to get them under cover. Some kind of spiritual covering. Some kind of spiritual protection. People that think they got it all together, just me and God, they're out there all by themselves. They need to get undercover. The book of Ephesians speaks very clearly that it is God's plan to reach the world through the church. Yes. The church is us. A good, a good statement. When you're talking to somebody outside the church about coming to church, they're probably going to give you a gripe about their church. Here, here's, here's the response you should give them. Well, my church isn't like that. It might be, but they need some hope. So I say that all the time. My church isn't like that. My church isn't like that. Come and see. Come and see. Because people have their mind made up. They prejudged us. Never been here, but they prejudged us based on some experience they had at another church. So they're not going anyplace. They've gutted out the church. The church has no power in America because they got hurt a long time ago. Instead of them fixing the problem, helping to fix it, they just run away from it. God wants us to be different. We need to step up. I heard about this. Teacher with kids ministry. You know, we got kids down, or we got teachers down here working with our kids right now. Uh, I heard about this 
teacher who gave their kids an assignment to draw on a piece of paper the nativity story. Draw, draw it out. And so all the kids were working with crayons, coloring the, you know, Joseph and Mary and animals and the manger and all of that. And then the teacher was going around checking and she looked at little Johnny's, little Johnny, and she says, Johnny, what's that fat little man with the white beard in that picture? Is that Santa Claus? And Johnny says, oh, no, that's round John Virgin." We have, as the church of Jesus Christ, we have to reach a de-Christianized culture. That's right. Come on. We live in a world that has become de-Christianized. It used to be when I was a kid, all good people belonged to a church someplace. Maybe they didn't go every Sunday, but they all said they were part of this church, that church. It was a part of the culture. Not a part of our culture anymore. People, people know more about the three Home Alone movies Come on. than they do the three wise men. Come on. They like to wear a cross around their neck, but they've never knelt at one. Come on. You don't have a relationship. They have a Bible somewhere, but it doesn't have them. We are lost. We are sent to a lost generation. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up right here. We are sent to a lost generation, a generation that's lost. They don't know the way. They don't know how to maneuver in their life. They're messing everything up, and it gets worse and worse. But I remember the story. Jesus left the 99 in the fold and went out after the one who is lost. I'm not going to go chasing rebellious sheep, but I will go looking for a lost sheep. I've had people say, well, pastor, you're the pastor of the church. You should, you should go after them. They're rebellious. They won't hear a word I say. What good is that going to do? I'm going after receptive people, people that want to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me close this out with this story. Suppose you knew there was a bridge out up ahead and there's traffic flowing down the road past you. I mean flying toward that bridge that's out. You knew it was out. Would you just let them go? Or would you try to flag them down? Would you try to give them some warning? Would you try to give them some kind of a hint that the bridge is out up ahead? What would you do? Because what's happening in the church in America today is we're letting people go right on past toward the bridge that's out. We're not warning anybody. We're not telling them the truth. Their life is going to be wiped out in the end because they haven't responded to the good news of Jesus Christ. So are we just going to let them fly on past? Are we going to give them some kind of a warning? Maybe the best warning is just to tell them your story. What Jesus did for you. That there was a time when you were heading toward that collapsed bridge yourself. There was a time 
And then Jesus stepped in and showed himself to you. That's the truth. We need to communicate that to people or they're going to go off the bridge. There's good news. Good news. We have to pass that good news on. God's a good God. He wants to do good things in our life. He doesn't want to hurt us. doesn't want to mess us up. He's got a good plan. But we've ignored him. We've thumbed our nose at him. We've just pretended he really wasn't there. And maybe someday when I die, he'll be gracious enough to get me to heaven. You can take that step right now. You can lead your friends, your coworkers to Christ right now. That's the sent part. We have been sent. What are we going to do with that invitation? Let's stand together. So, of course, this message can be applied differently to every one of us because we all have, we work at different places, live in different communities, different neighborhoods. We all have our own social network that we have been sent to. So, look how many people there are in this room this morning. If we all responded to the invitation, if we all recognized we've been sent to our workplace, our neighborhoods, our family Christmas get-togethers. We're all going someplace different, in different directions, but we all have the same message. We all have the same hope and the same Holy Spirit inside of us to empower us as we go out. This This is good news. Good news of great joy to all people, to everybody. Precious Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace. Send us out. Send us out. Show, help us connect with the people you want us to connect yes. with. Because we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.